Matthew chapter number 26, Matthew 26, verse number 47. Let me also say this. These last two weeks, ma'am, have been a little rough. I got to tell you, as the weekend has approached, I haven't been feeling well. Today I have a bum calf knee. And I just thought to the Lord, you know what? There's an old saying and it says this, 90% of ability is availability, right? And so I just said to the Lord, here I am, Lord, use me. How many of you know God can use you in any condition you're in? Just open your heart up and let him use you. So I want to encourage you, if you don't always feel perfect, don't let that stop you from what God wants to do in your life. Matthew chapter number 26, beginning in verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Don't you think that I cannot pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out? As against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Today we're continuing in our little mini series called Defying the Urge to Quit. And I want to minister to you on the subject Judas versus Jesus. In this corner, the betrayer, the fake, the phony, the one who sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And in the other corner, the champion of the ages, the still reigning, undefeated, king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Christ. It almost seems like an unfair fight, doesn't it? Precisely. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your power? Would you minister by your grace to every single heart in Jesus' name? And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Even though typically we turn the page on Passion Passion Week once we celebrate the resurrection, I want us to camp out a little while longer on the week that changed the world. It is too consequential to me to hit it and quit it. It's not something that I believe should be reserved for just the Easter season. It is the heart of the gospel. It is the crux of everything that we preach. And the part of the week that we have been illuminating in the last few weeks that I believe speaks to each one of us in profound ways are all of the quitting points that Jesus had a crash through in order to secure eternal life for you and I. In so doing, he taught us a great and valuable lesson, and that is in order to receive anything that is great in life, we must crash through quitting points. How many of you know greatness never goes on sale? You can't get it cheap. 
You can't do something consequential in an easy and lackluster manner. Nothing worthwhile comes without a struggle, a fight, and premium effort. The enemy wants us to quit so that we don't conquer, but God wants us to keep pressing on so that we can achieve the promise and claim the prize that he has prepared for us. Looking back on life, I can tell you that I am grateful for those quitting points that I crashed through in all sorts of arenas of my life, in ministry. I'm glad I quit, crashed through quitting points. In marriage and family, I'm glad that I crashed through quitting points. How many of you know that when you give up, you don't get what you really, what God really wants you to have, but when you press forward, there's a prize ahead. And we pointed out that the momentary pain of crashing through quitting points is worth the long-term gain. We said that among the litany of quitting points that Jesus had to crash through was the grueling grind of Gethsemane and the bitter betrayal of his close friend and confidant, Judas. As is often the case in life, these quitting points overlapped. There wasn't a space between them for Jesus to catch his breath and regroup. They happened not just sequentially, but simultaneously. These kind of simultaneous struggles have led some to embrace the old adage that when it pour, when it rains, it pours. And people believe that. And I could see how life can make people feel like that. You don't only have to deal with this, but it's usually this and that. And all of the questions and all of the pressures of that. But God shared something with my heart years ago, and it's a form of when it rains, it pours. And here's what God told me. He said, when it pours, he rains. So I just flipped that whole thing. I said, God, when it's this and that and the other thing in my life, I'm not even going to try to figure it out. I'm not even going to try to deal. I'm just going to declare that you reign over this situation, that you are in control of everything that touches me and everything that happens to me. And I believe you and I trust you that better things are ahead. When it pours, he reigns. And so we come to the text and we find Jesus having to battle with two treacherous quitting points at the same time, Gethsemane and betrayal. Gethsemane by itself was bad enough. It was the place of pressing and appropriately so because it was literally an olive press. It was where they made olive oil. And it's not my point, but the Lord wanted me to encourage somebody and tell you that when you're being pressed by life, oil's about to flow. Say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, in the scriptures, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God and a new level of blessing in God. And so every time you're pressed, you have a choice. You can quit or you could say, the oil's about to flow in my life. Better things are going to happen in my life. The anointing's going to increase in my life. And so Jesus is being pressed. He's being pressed not just because of the cross before him, but because of the price that the cross carries with it. Jesus knew on the cross that he would not just pay for our sin, but he would become sin for us. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Becoming sin was what weighed on Jesus like you and I will never know because Jesus knew that meant that he would be forsaken by the Father. 
Let me quote Charles Spurgeon for a minute. He said, the Father's presence had been his home, the Father's bosom his dwelling place, the Father's glory he shared before the world ever was. During his 33 years on earth, the son had enjoyed unbroken communion with the father. Never a thought was out of harmony with the father's mind. Never a volition, but what originated in the father's will. Never a moment spent outside of his conscience presence. What then must it have been like for Jesus to be forsaken by God? The hiding of God's face from him was the most bitter ingredient of that cup which the Father had given the Redeemer to drink. This is what was pressing Jesus. This is why he was in agony. This is why he sweat drops of blood. This is why he prayed three times for the cup to pass from him. And this is why he wanted his friends close by. And as soon as he emerges from the garden resolute to do the Father's will, He is met by the bitterness of betrayal's kiss. Not by just a friend, not by just an enemy, but a friend. Not by a fringe acquaintance, but somebody who was an inner circle confident. Somebody who was handpicked by Jesus to be one of the twelve. Someone who he had shared intimate moments with. Someone that knew Jesus behind the scenes. Someone who was privy to the private moments. Somebody who was in charge of the ministry finances, which speaks emphatically to the closeness of the relationship. And yet Judas methodically and premeditatively arranged to betray Jesus. He didn't fall into it. It didn't happen by accident. Our text says he arranged for a sign. And the sign was none other than a kiss, a sign of affection, a sign of covenant. It is one thing to be betrayed by accident, but it is a whole nother thing when somebody is posing to be a friend while they're plotting with your enemies. And this was the case. And so Jesus is dealing with simultaneous quitting points, not just one, but two, the pressing of the garden of Gethsemane and then betrayals kissed by a close friend. Have you ever had a deal with sequential overlapping simultaneous quitting points in your life. How do you crash through quitting points? You know, COVID caused a lot of people to feel like they want to quit. You know, a lot of stuff went on. All of the things that came along with it and everything that's gone on the last year, plus life by itself and the pressure, the mounting for people to want to give up, for people to want to throw in the towel. How do you overcome? How do you crash through those quitting points? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's in your emotions. Maybe it's on your job. Maybe it's in your health. Whatever. How do you crash through? Specifically, how do you do it when it comes to Betrayal. I want to give you a couple of keys. Number one, first thing you have to realize is that God will give you supernatural strength. This is so important. We've talked about some of the events of Gethsemane that preceded our text, namely the struggle of Jesus' soul and being separated from the Father. Not to mention, though, how his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, he needed them for support in prayer, and he found them asleep while he suffered. He needed them, and they weren't there. Take it from somebody who's experienced dark nights of the soul. Sometimes you want people around you. Sometimes you want to lean on somebody. But here's what I've understood is I don't get mad when people aren't there for me because I understand something that it's not that people don't care. Listen to me. We are human beings. People's capacity. 
capacity to care often filters through their own experiences and circumstances. And the truth of the matter is if it's not their circumstance, they are not going to care like you care about the situation. It doesn't mean that they're cold. It doesn't mean that they're callous. It doesn't mean that they don't care about you and want to be there for you. It is just human nature. Think back to when you knew somebody was going through something. What? How did you react to that circumstance? Right? We can only have a capacity to a certain extent Moreover, here's what I found out, and here's what encourages me. It's their sleeping that allows me to tap into God's supernatural strength. Do you know that when nothing is there for you, that's when you are most likely to lean on the thing that is there for you all of the time, and that is the supernatural strength of God. Here's what Luke's gospel says. It says, then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. What is then? It was when he was in agony. It was when he was sweating drops of blood. It was when he was writhing in pain. It was, it was when he was struggling with the cup that was before him. It was when he found his friends asleep. It was then that God appeared or sent an angel to strengthen him supernaturally. Here's what I want to tell you. I don't know about you, but I am most grateful in my life for the supernatural strength that comes from God in times when I need somebody to lead on. Psalm 121 puts it like this. David said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I mean, where would you rather get help from than the person who made heaven and earth? He will not allow your foot to be moved. He will keep you and will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. This is powerful stuff. It says the Lord is your shade and your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out, your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. You can get the support of people, which I understand we all need. Or you could lean on the everlasting, never-failing, supernatural strength of almighty God. Here's what I love. Right as he was ready to emerge from the quitting point of Gethsemane and right before Judas showed up, the angel intervened. God gave him the supernatural strength that he needed so when the simultaneous and sequential quitting point showed up, Jesus was already filled with the strength of Almighty God. And what did he do? He said, do what you came to do. He said, I've been in the presence of God. I've been with God. I've worked it out in prayer. I want to encourage somebody, work it out in prayer. Get into the presence of God. Don't don't neglect the presence of God. Get filled up with the strength of God because there's nothing like the feeling that you get when you're in the presence of God and you come out to a place where you're like, do what you came to do because God is now on my side. Supernatural strength. The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Supernatural strength. How do you crash through quitting points? Number two, I need you to understand you need to retaliate the right way. 
How many of you know when quitting points come from circumstances and people and things like that? How many of you know human nature wants to retaliate? Human nature wants to lash out. To understand the second key, I need to remind you of what we learned last time when we talked about the Judas kiss. Judas didn't just come alone. The Bible says he brought, brought a band of soldiers and officers. We learned that this was 600 of the most highly trained Roman soldiers that were available in Bible times, right? They were the ones who overlooked the temple that in case there was an insurgency, they would be right there on the spot, plus all of the foot soldiers. And they brought torches and lanterns and and swords and, and, and staves with them. And they came for Jesus. And the reason why they came for Jesus is because Judas had given them inside information about Jesus. He said, you've never seen power like this in your entire life. He said, I've been there when he's walked on water. I've been there when he's opened blind eyes. I've been there when he's unstopped deaf ears. I've been there when he raised people from the dead. I've been there when he multiplied loaves and fishes. You've never seen such power like this. You better come prepared for this guy. And so they came. And they brought a whole army with them. But listen to the detail John gives about the arrest. John chapter 18, verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and he said to them, whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, look at this, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, this is significant. In the original language, and you'll notice in your Bible, he is italicized which means it's not there. What Jesus actually said is, I am. Why is this important? Because this was the name that God gave to Moses on Mount Horeb, which was the most holiest Hebrew name that you could give. It was reserved for God. It was so holy that if a scribe wrote it down, they would throw away the pen. They had a wash before they wrote it, and then they would throw away the pen afterwards. This is the name for God that we would say, Yahweh. Is his name. And notice there is no particular clarification on it. I am. When we say I am, we're like, I am sad. I am happy. We have to clarify. God's just like, I am. I'm the one. I'm the creator of the universe. And when he said, and by the way, let me just encourage somebody who's at a quitting point in life right now. Don't you dare forget who you are. Boldly declare that you're a child of God. Boldly declare that you're a prized possession of the Lord. Boldly declare that you're blessed coming and blessed going. Don't you ever forget who you are because the enemy will try to get you to quit by stripping you of who God has created you to be. Jesus said, I am. And when Jesus said, I am, the scripture says, they fell over as if dead. Literally, if you read the original language, it's like they got hit by dynamite to the point where they were laying like they were corpses all over the place. What happened when Jesus uttered the words, I am, when he declared who he was, it knocked the whole band of Roman soldiers onto the ground flat on their back. They were laying there because he had so much power present at that time. Do you want to know how much power was there? Listen to what Mark says. Mark says of the same instance, there was a certain young man that followed him. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. 
Isn't that a peculiar detail to put in the Gospels? Why is it in there? Because when Jesus said, I am, you have to understand that Gethsemane was right near a cemetery. And when he said, I am, the linen cloth is actually a reference to grave clothes. It was the only, there's only a couple places in the Bible that it's used. And it was the clothes that they would wrap people who were dead in. When Jesus uttered those words, when they came to capture him, I am, do you know that the graves nearby opened up and a dead man come out walking and the soldiers try to grab him. And when they grabbed him, they grabbed the linen cloth and he ran away naked. That's how much power was there. Why is this so significant? Because Jesus had the power in that moment to destroy all of his enemies. To destroy his betrayer. He had power there at that moment. He could have wiped them all out. But what did Jesus do? Jesus, instead of doing that, he pulls back. He doesn't retaliate the wrong way. He acts the right way. By the way, Peter retaliated the wrong way. Remember what Peter did? He grabbed his sword. Here they are, they're laying all over the ground like dead people. Peter goes to lop off the head of Malchus's, Malchus's, uh, the servant of the high priest. And instead of getting his head, he gets his ear. And what does Jesus say? He says, put your sword away. Don't you understand that right now I can call on a legion of angels and my father can send 12 legions of angels. This isn't about them overpowering me. How many of you are grateful that Jesus wasn't taken? Jesus wasn't overpowered. Jesus laid down his life freely for you and I. There was enough power there in that moment that graves opened up again. What's he showing us? He's showing us that we have to retaliate the right way. When we are hurt, when we are pushed, when we are betrayed, when we have to crash through quitting points, we could fight with people. We could go tit for tat. That's a distraction. That's the enemy trying to get involved in your circumstances to rob you from what God has for you. Do you know that when you pull back, Instead of paying back, it's one of the greatest seeds that you could ever sow in your entire life. Listen to what the scripture says. Psalm 126, verse number five. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What does that mean? It means that when you sow, whether it's kindness, whether it's pulling back, whether it's whatever, when you're in a quitting point in life, when there's tears going on in your life, that that guarantees a harvest of better things in your future. Some of the greatest seed that you could sow is seed in the middle of your suffering. That's how you crash through a quitting point. Number three, how do I crash through a quitting point, especially if it's betrayal, but it doesn't have to be that, any quitting point. Number three, don't ask why, ask what. What do you mean, pastor? Peter lops off the guy's ear. Big tough Peter, the guy's laying on the ground, can't even fight back. Peter's like, gotcha. Goes for his head, by the way. We're going to look at that next week. He gets his ear. Look at what Jesus says in detail. Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I can call now and pray to my Father and he will provide me more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that this must 
happen. How then could the scripture be fulfilled that this must happen? Oftentimes when we face quitting points in life, it is human to ask why. We don't talk about that, but it is human. And and if we're really honest about it, Jesus, the only one that can legitimately ask why, because he was the only one who was perfect in every way. Actually, when he became fully human in the moment that he became sin, asked why. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is human. But here's what Jesus does in this moment to crash through this quitting point. Instead of focusing on the why, he focuses on the what. So that scripture can be fulfilled. Here's what Jesus was doing. Here's what he's teaching. He was teaching to flip the pain. How many of you know you have a choice in life? And I understand that some things are greatly painful. But you have to decide at some point in life to flip your pain. And you can get stuck in your why or you can focus on your what. You can ask yourself the question, what is it that God has called me to do that the enemy is so concerned about me? What is it that God wants to do through me in this moment? You need to flip that situation. Here's what Jesus believed. He didn't believe the pain was working against him. Jesus embraced it and said, this is working for me. Here's what God told me to tell you. Let your pain cause production in your life. Let it push you to a place you could not get pushed through any other way. I'm telling you from somebody who's been through some stuff that my greatest points of accomplishment have been at my deepest moments of pain because it's as if I said to the devil, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You ain't going to win in this situation. I'm not going to get stuck in a why, but I'm going to focus harder on the what. I'm going to let God work through me and use me. This is how you crash through quitting points. But then lastly, today, to crash through a quitting point, you need to realize it's not Judas versus Jesus. I've always wondered, how does this kind of betrayal happen to Jesus through Judas? This is somebody who has an all-access pass to Jesus. This is somebody who, being around Jesus, should have caused him to love Jesus more. What happened? Back in John's gospel, we are told that Judas was offended because Mary broke her alabaster box, poured it on the feet of Jesus. To Jesus, it was worship. To Judas, it was wasteful. Was this the moment That he got twisted? Could be. Wouldn't be the first time a saint got twisted when it came to money. Because people get funny when you talk about money. But maybe that wasn't the case. Maybe he got twisted because he wasn't part of the big three. Maybe he was envious and jealous that Jesus would take James, John, and Peter, and Judas was not invited into those moments. But here's what we do know. John chapter 13, verse number 12 says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. What's it telling us? Satan got into his heart. Listen carefully to me. This is one of the most important things I'm going to say. 
Don't give the enemy an inch in your life. Because if you give him an inch, he will take a mile. Cut him out, cut him off. Cut off all access. Keep yourself pure and and clean and in the word and in fellowship with God. Don't give him place in your life. But why is this significant that it says Satan entered into his heart? Because it tells us that the real fight was not between Judas and Jesus. Our fight, listen to me carefully, is never against Judas. It's not you and Jesus against your Judas. It's not you and Jesus against that person that did that to you. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but you wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. You don't wrestle against people. You must realize that people are often pawns that the enemy uses in order to get to the Jesus in us. I know the fight seems to be between your Judas and you and Jesus, but in reality, it's between the enemy and Jesus. The truth of the matter is, if you really want to know it, God loves your Judas. That's deep right there. Truth of the matter is, God loves your Judas, but that's a subject for another day. But why is this key to overcome quitting points? Because it allows us to look past the person and aim our anger at the right source instead of walking in bitterness and unforgiveness and payback and all sorts of unproductive behaviors. More importantly, it allows us to know that the fight is fixed because guess what? The enemy cannot beat the Savior. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them through the cross. When we make the fight not about our Judas versus us and Jesus, but between us, and, but between Satan or the enemy and Jesus, then we know that the fight is fixed and we are destined to win. So when the emotions start coming up, during the betrayal, you know, we used to say, you know, it was popular back in the day, talk to the hand. Right? I mean, I'm not engaging. So I got this little thing that I do. When the emotions start stirring up, I say, Satan, talk to Jesus about it. Don't talk to me about it. When, when, when I feel like getting even, talk to Jesus about it. When the enemy's playing with my head, talk to Jesus about it. When the pain of why is unbearable, talk to Jesus about it. When the enemy says never trust again, talk to Jesus about it. When he says you don't have any friends, talk, talk to Jesus about it. Once upon a time, we use that expression, talk to the hand. We have to change it to talk to Jesus about it. I'm not engaging because it's really not my fight. I understand something that God fights for me. When I make it my fight, I might lose, but when I keep it his fight. We triumph every single time. Talk to Jesus about it. Don't engage. Don't get into dialogue. The only thing that you should ever say to the enemy is it is written. Period. End of story. That's the only kind of conversation that you should ever have. But this is how you crash through these quitting points that we all face in life, and every single one of us does. And here's the thing that God wants you to realize. On the other side of that struggle, there's supernatural strength. On the other side of that struggle, there's something 
better for you. I like what Robert Trula said years ago. He said, tough times don't last. Tough people do. I like to say it like this. Tough times don't last. But Christians who stay faithful to Christ always do. Would you stand to your feet? Praise the Lord. I just want to give God a little praise right now. I know this may seem silly. My calf before service was super, super swollen. I mean, swollen beyond swollen beyond swollen. Couldn't put any pressure on it. It still hurts a little bit, if I'm be honest with you. But here's what I realize every time I minister. The presence of God is a cure-all for everything. The improvement in the presence of God cannot be matched. And so of all the things I said, maybe grab hold of this one. Are you going through a quitting point? Get into the presence of Almighty God. Just sit there. Sit at his feet. I was putting together a series the other day called Watch Where You Sit. And one of the places that I'm going to talk about sitting is the importance of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because that's where everything changes. Perspective, your strength, your courage, your fight, it changes there. Are you going through quitting points right now? God's talking to you. Let's pray. I really feel like there are at least a few here that are going through massive quitting points right now. The bad news came again. The situation didn't change. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're going through quitting points right now, just hold your hands up to God. I want to pray with you. Come on. Father, you see these hands. Father, you are their strength. Our help comes from you, Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Father, you're supernatural. Father, right now I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would just breathe on every hand that is raised right now that you would endue them with a strength to just keep going. Father, that you would settle in their hearts that you're fighting for them, that the battle is not just to the swift nor to the strong, but it's to those that remain steadfast in trust and faith in you. Father, give them supernatural strength. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know where you'd spend eternity, he went through Gethsemane. He went through betrayal so that your sins can be washed away, so that you can have the promise of eternal life. If you're here, because we never like to close our services without giving people that opportunity, and you don't know where you stand with Jesus, but today... You want to put your faith in him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. If you're watching at home and that's you, you don't know where you stand with God, right there at home, just hold your hand up and surrender. I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Let's all pray it for the benefit of maybe those that are watching, that are surrendering to Jesus. Say it out loud with me. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. As my personal Savior, I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. 
as simple as it is. If you prayed that prayer, we want to reach out to you. Click the button. It's a little hand on your screen. You'll see it there if you're watching at home. If you're here and you prayed that prayer for the first time and you want a little gift, if you tell one of the ushers, they'll give it to you. We love you so, 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 so much. We'll see you again next week. God bless you.